World's Finest Podcast, Episode 9. As always, I'm Michael Sims, and with me is James Doe. Greetings. How are you doing, James? Oh, not too shabby. Yeah? Just like I told you before we started recording, I'm bowling really well. I love bowling. I've been doing it for about 20 years now, and I'm, <laughs> I'm averaging about 202 now and top five in my league and average, so things are going good. I know there's uh, I know there's something you want to get off your chest, let's say. Yeah. Um, Both of us, actually, but I'll let, I'll let you handle this. Yeah, well, uh, this is something that both of us want to speak on, and I'll let you speak on, on it, too, because you'll say something more composed than I will. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Wikipedia, we have a little issue going on right now, because, as some of our listeners know, we use we use the uh, Batman the Animated Series uh, single pa- episode pages for reference points when we do our recordings. And let, me, let me interject there real quick, because, you know, we pick up on a lot of the Easter eggs that are there. We, you know, we've seen these episodes a lot, so we know little bits of trivia, but we don't know everything. No. And those wiki pages are very helpful because you know they might point out some Easter egg or some little thing that we just overlooked. So it was it was nice to have them. Alas, somebody just was so so damn upset about them that they had them deleted. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them for every every DC show. DCAU show out there. They yeah. just deleted all of them off of Wikipedia for I really ch- no reason. I checked again today, and On Leather Wings has returned, and I think that's only because it's quote-unquote significant, because it's the very first cartoon that is in the DCAU. It sparked the whole thing. So that page has returned, and certain other pages like the uh, the World's Finest page and little things like that, those pages have returned. But, yeah, the, the, the pages for like the individual episodes... 99% of them all gone. Not just for Batman, but for Superman, Batman Beyond, Justice League even. All gone. And it's just, it raises the, the question simply, why? What, what was the point? Mm-hmm. It's, it makes no sense at all. It's just somebody had a stick up their ass and just, you know, said, oh, these shouldn't be here. Boo-hoo. So... You know, I ranted about it on their little discussion page, and you said something a lot more, you know, uh, composed than I did. So, well, I had, but, I had to balance it out. Yeah, I know. So it's it is what it is now, and I don't know what what can be done about it. They can be it can be reverted back. I mean, I could revert it back if I wanted to. I think all you have to do is hit like one or two buttons, and it can be changed back. But that person who deleted them will just delete them again because. These wiki editors, these people that take it upon themselves to do that, they're like crazy about it. And look, I've edited wiki pages. Mostly, you know, if I notice a typo or if a factoid is just flat out wrong, I'll correct it or I'll put in sources. Because sometimes you'll be reading a wiki page and it'll say that no source is cited. 
So I'll put in this, the appropriate source if I know where to find it. I'll do little things like that, but I've never taken it upon myself to create a page or to delete a page or to even suggest that a page be deleted. It's ridiculous to do that, and I think there are two reasons why these were deleted. The first one is that a lot of the episode pages really weren't that long. So the thinking was, oh, well, if there's only a few lines here, why bother wasting the space for it? Sort of understandable, but instead of deleting the pages, why don't you take it upon yourself to expand them? Make them not so, quote-unquote, irrelevant. Exactly. Now, the other reason I think they were deleted is because it's a cartoon. Because if you go to the MASH page, there's links for every episode. If you go to the Star Trek The Next Generation page, there's links for every episode. I'm, I didn't double-check this one, but I'm sure there's links for every Buffy episode as well. So why erase the Batman links unless it's because it's a cartoon? Why would you do that? Someone took the time to create those. Some of them might have been short, that's true. But now with the guy who, or people who created those, wasted their time because some other arrogant son of a gun came along and said, well, I don't think these belong. Let's get rid of them. Like, what the hell? Why would you do that? You know, as, as we said like a couple of minutes ago, take the time to make them better instead of getting rid of them. There was no effort to make them better. They were just flagged for deletion. Instead of flagging them to expand them, they were just a flag for deletion. Laziness right yeah. there, actually. I just, I just don't like the arrogance of it. So our first episode today is Almost Got Him. And in this one, it's, it's a lot different than the episodes we've seen before. Normally, you know, we get one story from beginning to end. But in this one, it's... You know, all the rogues, that being the Joker, the Penguin, Two-Face, uh, Killer Croc, and then later Poison Ivy, are all sitting at a jazz club just playing poker and just reminiscing about the time they almost got him. They almost killed Batman. And we get these little vignettes throughout, and we had never seen that before. Um, so that was a neat uh, change from from everything that has come before. And then at the end of this, uh, when after the Joker tells his little story, uh, we get one more story that involves Catwoman and Batman basically trying to save her life. That I think that does a good job summing this one up, doesn't it? I believe so. Okay. Um, why don't you start us off with this one? Well, let's see. First off, I think you and I both agree that to date this is the most hysterical episode yet. Absolutely. <laughs> Just nonstop, wire-to-wire hilarity. Even... You know, from the first line to the last line, it's it's just really, really funny that uh, a kid or an adult could uh, really get into. Yeah, remember, a long time ago, we received that that email or that that response to an episode that you know was saying you know sometimes there just has to be those fun episodes mm-hmm. where you just say screw being serious, we just have to have fun. This is the perfect, literally the perfect example of it. You don't get any better than this when it comes to just fun, lighthearted episode that still exists in the Batman universe. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. yeah. And, and of course, Joker is at the center of all of it. Mm-hmm. He managed, manages to insult everybody at the table. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, and it's so funny because he just does it so nonchalant. It's mm-hmm. just once somebody, you know, like uh, Two-Face will something and then they'll insult him and then 
Ivy will really even. I think Ivy even kind of back Joker up, and then he insults her. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, yeah, it's it's not just the Joker too. They're all jabbing each other. Oh yeah. I mean, when Ivy shows up, she's like, I forget exactly what she says to Two Face, but she, you know, ribs him, and he's like, Ivy. I don't know if I want to strangle, or half of me wants to strangle you, and she's like, well, what's the other half want to, want to do? Hit you with a truck. Uh, <laughs> and, and she said, yeah, it's like, date. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. actually pretty mature dialogue. For yeah, it's, it's very cute, but it's mature at the same time. It has continuity. They're, they're just all doing that back and forth, and they're doing it before we even see their faces. They're sitting there playing cards, as I said, and we're just seeing their hands, so we're identifying them by their hands, because Harvey's got the one scarred hand and the one, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Normal hand. The Joker's got his gloves. Killer Croc has his gray, scaly skin. The Penguin's got his fins. So we just see them. We see their hands. That was a really great device mm-hmm. for saying, "See, this is who you're gonna. This, these are the characters right now." And as they're doing that, we're getting little tells. Penguin's drinking tea. Harvey's drinking coffee with half and half. <laughs> it's like that's great. You know, the Joker. I don't remember if he's drinking anything, but he's shuffling cards and cheating while doing it. You know, Killer Croc's just being himself, and Pam shows up a little later, so we don't get to see the gag with her hands. But I thought that was a really interesting way to start this episode. Well, it, it was it was neat because it showed that they were just kind of jibber-jabbering around. They weren't, mm-hmm. they're just like, like nonchalant. Like I said a few minutes ago, it's just back-and-forth banter mm-hmm. until, you know, until uh, Ivy shows up, and then it gets all tense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. And there was something, now I've seen this episode uh, uh, so many times, because this is one of my top five. Um, it really may be, like, in my top three. Um, not to spoil what my score is going to be at the end, but um, <laughs> something I never noticed until this viewing. Obviously, they're sitting in this jazz club, and it's very stylized. There's, like, no background. You know, the lamps are hanging from nothing. Um, and but we have guys sitting in the background. Of course, that comes up later because it turns out they're all police officers. But something I had never noticed before is, you know how Ivy, she comes up, she pulls out Croc's chair from under him, mm-hmm. or she tri- kicks the chair, I think, and he bashes his chin on the table. And then later on in the background, we see a thug being up another thug. I always assumed that that was just two thugs fighting in the background. But it's actually Killer Croc getting another chair. <laughs> I never noticed that before. I don't think I noticed that at all, honestly. Yeah. And it's weird because I must have seen this as many times as you have because I love this episode, too. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I always noticed that there was something going on in the background, but I seriously thought, if these five criminals are here, there's other criminals that are here. So yeah. it makes sense that a guy's beating up another guy. But if you look, after Croc shoves the guy out of the chair, he when he bends over to grab the chair, you can see the kind of ridges on his back. And I'm like, oh, it's Killer Croc. I'm like, how did I not notice this in the million times I've seen it before now? And then, yeah, you see him grab the chair, and next thing you know, he's walking up to the table and sitting down with a brand new chair. And that's, that, to me, is the sign of a great episode, because it says, you know, whether you saw it in 1992 when it first aired, or you're seeing it in 2007, as I did today, you know, you're always getting something new out of it. The first time I saw this, I didn't get the half-and-half half gag. It took a couple of yeah. viewings before I finally got it. Yeah, there's just those little things. The Joker, his winning hand at the end is four aces and a Joker. I think it's when Harvey tells his story about the giant penny. It, like, when the Joker tries to console him, he, he leans over to him and he's like, Oh, Harv, look at the Joker's eyes. He takes a peek at Harvey's car. Yes, yes. <laughs> Again, I didn't notice that the first couple times I saw it. And then finally I'm like, Oh, my God, the Joker's cheating. 
He's totally, he's not consoling, oh, granted, you know he's not consoling him anyways. Oh, I wish he was just being a sarcastic jerk. I mean, that's the Joker. But then all of a sudden, it's like, no, he's using that opportunity to cheat. <laughs> it's so wonderful. And like I said, that's the mark of an excellent episode when every time you see it, there's something new. And I know if I view it again, as soon as we're done recording, I will see something new that I never noticed before. Oh, and the, you know, every character at all times is doing something. Mm-hmm. It's, they're not just sitting there with their cards like, uh, the. They're always doing something. Penguin with his key or, you know, uh, bringing a card out from under his wrist or something like Joker does all throughout the episode. <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, as you said, they've always got the characters moving, and that required the actors to all just be on all the time. Oh, yeah. Nobody could, and not that these actors, these voice actors would, but nobody could phone in this performance. And none of them did. They were just, everybody was spot on. They nailed their characters. They just got it. This must have been an episode where they were all sitting in a, you know, at a table. Yeah. The together. Only, the only one who wasn't, um, oh, shoot, is, I think, Catwoman. And I can't remember her name. Is it Adrian? Oh, Adrian Barbeau. Yeah, she was the only one that wasn't at the table. But, you know, that's okay because her story doesn't relate to the first, you know, like 17 minutes of the cartoon. Yeah, she her stuff. I mean, she doesn't even have any lines when she first appears later on. Does she even have lines when she jumps the Joker and Harley in the studio? Yeah, she does because right right after she says something, uh, Harley Quinn gets the jump on her. Oh, that's right. Okay, so she's got a few lines in it, but really, the important part with her is the ending. That's the important part with her, where she only needed to be with you know Kevin. She didn't need to be with the rest of the cast. So, yeah, it's. It didn't hurt anything by her not being with them in the room because she just would have been sitting there twiddling her thumbs while they're joking around at the poker table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Catwoman is not the uh, the Gotham psycho freak anyway. So yeah, she wouldn't be caught dead there. I mean, she's she's a thief. At worst, she's a thief. Yeah, and that's it. She's not, and she's not going to be killing anybody along the way. You know, and she, as you said, she's not psychotic. She's just. She's almost akin to Robin Hood, really. She isn't hideously scarred or anything. Right. Yeah, she doesn't have any deep psychosis. She's, she dresses up like a cat because she likes cats, and she steals things. You know, sometimes she uses that money to help out environmental groups. Sometimes she uses it to live her lifestyle. But she's never really going to hurt anybody along the way like these other people at the table are going to. Or we'll put it this way. She doesn't go out of her way to hurt people. She's like, she will if she needs to just to protect herself with the bullwhip or whatever, but she won't kill anybody. But, yeah, and this episode also has maybe the greatest line in all of Batman the Animated Series, and you and I both know what that is. Can I do it? Can I do it? By all means. I threw a rock at him. <laughs> Cricket's chirping. It was a big rock. Yeah. <laughs> Just the look on his face. It was a big rock. He's all dejected yeah. and shit. <laughs> and what's, what's even better about that moment is, as you said, there's crickets. They're all just staring at him like, dude, seriously, go away. Later on, they repeat that moment when the Joker admits that he's going to turn Catwoman into cat food and then ship it to Batman. Ooh, which is such a nasty plan. I love it. You know, when he admits that, they repeat that exact scene, replacing Joker for Croc, obviously, where all of them are just utterly disgusted by how far this man's about to go. So it was kind of cool that just the juxtaposition there was really neat. You know, just a few minutes ago, they were thinking that Killer Croc's a doofus, and five minutes later, they're thinking the Joker's, like, 
whoa, like they got to get away from that table now. And but if you also look, the only one who isn't disgusted is Killer Croc. He's pissed off because it's Batman. And he yeah. just realized what the Joker was about to do. He's the only one. He's scowling. Everybody else is just like mouth agape, like, dude, too far, too far. <laughs> yeah. It's like even even uh, sideshow freaks have uh, standards. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It's, I like another thing about this episode as it relates to the Joker is how he always has a plan. Uh, he, even when it seems like you know he can't go any further, or he's he's met his match for the day, it, he always has something else up his sleeve. The ace cards, notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. So, I thought, yeah, that's another way to continue the the notion that Joker is Batman's a number one nemesis. Mm-hmm. So, I really like that about this episode too. Yeah, he was going to hurt Batman where it would have hurt him the most in his heart. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just, you know, he was going to grab some random stranger off the street and turn her into cat food. No, he was going to grab Batman's love interest and mess with his head. It's like that, that's a pretty cunning plan. Uh, oh, yeah, it was during the uh, the Two-Face, Two-Face's story about, you know, that's where he, the, the giant penny comes into play. It was, it was uh, nice getting an origin for that. Yeah. And, you know, it's when when the thugs get crushed by it. That would, oh, made me cringe. Well, here's the thing. When Batman is strapped to it, Harvey tells him, heads, you get smashed like a bug. Tails, it breaks every bone in your body. So we already know that if this penny lands on top of someone, they're going to die. Yeah. And two of the gang members have the penny land on them. They're dead. (laughs) According to what Harvey just said, they're dead. Yeah. And... And, you know, the only way I can kind of see where they would have lived is because they were so fat and they were, and there were two of them. Maybe it would have cushioned it a little bit, but, Something. you know, that's a, that is a, that's a far, uh, that's a stretch right there. Yeah, so. at, at the very least. They're dead. Yeah, at the very least, they're forevermore in a hospital bed because their bones have been liquefied. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, they're dead. It's that plain and simple. They're dead. And... Whatever, I don't mind it, you know. No. It's just it's just weird that they killed two guys right on screen. This ain't like the police officers that I keep referencing from the very first episode, where they clearly got blown up in the building. It's not like that, where it happened off screen. You could maybe suggest that they got out. No, 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 no. Harvey said, Penny lands face down or whatever, you die. Well, this landed on some guys, so Harvey is right. They're dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's plain and simple. Now, if we're going to talk about memorable lines, as we did with I Threw a Rock at him, we have to mention what I think is probably the greatest Poison Ivy line, where, or at least to date, where she, you know, she's gassed Batman, and he's like, yeah, and he, like, falls over. And she has this wonderful line where she goes, I have this natural immunity to poisons, toxins, the pain and suffering of others. Bye. Oh, yes. And then she just strolls <laughs> off. It's like, that is cold. It's, oh, yes. You know, up till now, I didn't think they did a good job of, like, capturing poison ivy. But that was it right there. Oh, you know, man. it's like, you know, why is she in this pumpkin patch? Well, because they're using a, you know, we as people, we use a plant. We kill a plant every season to, you know, celebrate this silly holiday, right? Yeah. Well, she's going to take offense to that. So she's going to gas all these pumpkins. It makes sense. That's poison ivy. They got it. But then they went further by saying that she doesn't care that she's going to kill anybody. She's just, she's immune to it. Okay, bye-bye. It's like, that <laughs> is really good. If they could present poison ivy like that 
all the time, I would really dig the character. Now, later on, they'll get better with the character, especially when they team her up with uh, Harley. Art, yeah. But any appearances b- before this are kind of like, eh, not that great. But here she's, is where it starts to turn around, in my opinion. Yeah, she's like a lower-tier recurring villain mm-hmm. who you don't have, you can't really take seriously. Something I, uh, again, something I noticed in this one, and I did notice it before, this wasn't the first time I noticed it, was that in those vignettes, Batman hardly speaks. He'll have, like, maybe one line. I think with Poison Ivy, I think all he says is, like, poison gas. Uh, I think he might have one line at the end of that segment. When, and during Two-Face's segment, it's just, here, I owe you a dollar. Uh, I don't even know if he says anything during the Penguin segment. I don't think he does because Penguin clearly does most of the talking yeah. there because he, he'll talk. He says, "Oh, you know, I would have brought the wrong umbrella." Yeah. Uh, you know, it really wasn't obviously. Right. It turned, yeah, but yeah, I don't think Batman said anything during that one. Yeah, during the uh, Killer Croc doesn't have a segment obviously, and during the the Joker vignette, he doesn't say anything either because he's just captured right from the get go. Mm-hmm. He's in that giant electric chair, so. It's like Batman had very few lines, and that was kind of interesting because, you know, this was from the point of view of the villains. So it should be them narrating it with less Batman talking. And frankly, that's how I want to see Batman. I don't want to see Batman talking all the time. I want Batman Batman to be this big, scary freak that swoops in, punches some thug in the face, and disappears into the night, maybe saying one or two words along the way, and that's it. Yeah. So the fact that he was portrayed this way... I actually liked it. I know it might irk some people because, oh, maybe they didn't get enough Batman, but it worked for me. It definitely worked for me. No, it's exactly how it should have been. Mm-hmm. Because I agree with you. Batman, I've taken issue with this on several episodes where Batman talks where he really shouldn't be talking. Mm. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> now, I have to wonder if years later when they would do the Justice League, uh, Justice League Unlimited episode Flash and Substance, if they looked back at this one. Because in this one, you've got the rogues sitting around just kind of bullshitting, acting like, you know, just a bunch of people playing poker, just like normal people, except they just have extraordinary tales. But during Flash and Substance, that episode kind of starts the same way. With yeah. the Flash rogues just sitting around in a sleazy dive, you know, ordering their drinks, talking about how... You know, their life would be better if it weren't for The Flash. They're very similar episodes. I mean, they're different in that, you know, one's vignettes and one is a full story. But the general theme of it, just focusing on the rogues for a good portion of it, is very similar. And I do really think they might have looked back and said, okay, we did it with Batman. Let's try it with The Flash. Oh, and it worked great because I remember in that episode, uh, Trickster was like, the odd man out there, they would they would just kind of raise their eyebrows at everything he said. Mm-hmm. So he he was like the killer croc of that episode. Yeah, that's true. It it I think it was I think it's obvious that they referenced almost got him for that episode. Now, was this the very first time that Batman has actually struck a woman on camera? Well, technically, he you know he beat the crap out of Man Bat Woman, as we discussed in our previous episode. But, but that's a yeah, monster, I, so yeah, yeah. that's questionable. Yes, it's a female, but it's still a monster. I mean, uh, okay, looking past man, bat, woman, female, bat, whatever. <laughs> I will call her that forever. Has, has you know has he hit Harley before this? I don't think he ever threw even the slightest punch at the Red Claw. No, I don't think he's ever struck Catwoman. Has he hit Ivy before? No, he hasn't hit Ivy. 
I mean, because seriously, she was about to, what, he was stumbling around, and she was about to attack him or something, and he just, like, hits her right in the face. And I, I could not remember him, him striking a woman that, again, I'll modify it, that wasn't a monster before now. No, you're right. Uh, he hasn't. Because hmm. go through, you know, go through the rogues gallery there. Ivy, no. Catwoman, definitely not. Yeah. And the only one, like we said, uh, that could have been was Man Bat Woman. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to take every opportunity I can to say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I mean, obviously we have later on in the DC animated universe, we'll have it'll they'll lighten up with the striking women thing because it was really taboo for the early 90s, and they almost never had a woman being struck unless it was by another woman. Right. But then we have later on in, like, Justice League, Joker just backhands Harley uh, during the, uh, uh, what is it, Joker's Wild episode. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, they, as, the, as time goes on, and we'll be doing more of these episodes, we'll see that the they're going to lighten up on a lot of these things that were really taboo early on. Yeah, I think when this cartoon started, you know, the standards and practices were probably thinking to themselves, oh, it's a cartoon. There's, you know, so they applied certain standards to it mm-hmm. uh, because they thought it was just going to be kids watching it. And then I have to believe that as it went along, they seriously started to look at what Dini, Tim, Radomski, and their entire crew were doing and said, you know what, this really isn't for kids. Kids can watch it, they can enjoy it, but we don't have to be so strict because this is a more mature, a darker show. You know, especially, like, not so much with Superman. There were times in Superman. I mean, they kill a character in Superman. Oh, yeah. But more so... With a gas chamber. Oh, I forgot about that. I was more talking about Turpin. Oh, yeah, Turpin, of course. Right, but, you know, but when we get into, like, the Justice League and Batman Beyond, it does get darker. And they kill people right and left in Justice League. Yeah, what Boston Brand, the dead man, does at the end of... What the hell was the name of that episode? It's in the last season. Uh, Dead Reckoning. Yeah, what he does in that episode is like, holy shit. But, uh, yeah, so I do think as the show progressed, Standards and Practices said, okay, this is definitely not just for kids. They are leaning towards uh, a teenage-plus audience so we can allow certain things that, you know, they wouldn't allow with, like, Bugs Bunny or any other Warner Brothers property, really. Yeah, and it's not just the action. The dialogue obviously gets more and more mature. Uh, getting back to this episode, yeah. in the Penguin episode, or Penguin vignette, I swear to God, that there was this one second angle with the buzzard attacking Batman. I thought that buzzard was going to peck Batman right in the nutsack. <laughs> I didn't pick up on that. I'll have to go watch just, it again. You go watch that. It, you look at it, you will, you will say the same thing. I'm like, Ooh, no. <laughs> bad. <laughs> Well, of course, when that, that giant bird or whatever the hell that thing was attacks Batman, it bleeds him. It scratches yeah. him so bad that you we actually see, I mean, he's not, like, oozing blood, but we can see that the skin underneath is red, and that's not irritation, folks. This thing has talons, you know? <laughs> that's blood. And, again, that's a rarity. I mean, okay, we've seen Batman bleed in On Leather Wings. We've seen him bleed here, and I want to say there was one more time. I should mention that in a recent issue of Detective Comics, and I cannot remember the issue number, uh, that was written by Paul Dini, who did write this episode, if memory serves. Um, I believe that electric chair comes back. In The laughter-induced electric right, chair? Yeah, in a recent episode there, or excuse me, in a recent issue, uh, Batman ends up in an electric chair as Zatanna's with him, some shit happens, and I'm, I could be wrong about the chair being 
laughter controlled, but at the very least, you know, I thought it was kind of, you know, sort of almost Easter eggy of Deanie to bring back an electric chair in a Joker episode, you know? He writes this episode in 92 with the Joker using an electric chair, and then years later, he writes a detective comic script where the Joker brings back an electric chair and is trying to fry Batman. Again, just just a little, I thought it was a little nod at himself is what he was doing there, sort of like almost metatextual in a way. Was there anything we didn't like about this episode? Um, there are a little... I do have some quibbles with the animation. It's not as crisp and clean as I'd like it to be. There are uh, some slight errors in that Two-Face takes off Batman's belt, but he's got it on later, even though he clearly didn't get it back. Yeah. So there's little things like that, but, you know, even an episode like Heart of Ice, which the majority of Batman the Animated Series fandom considers the perfect episode, has animation glitches. But there's people that will tote that as being the best episode ever. But it clearly has a few things wrong when it comes to the animation. So, you know, if if the worst thing we're going to say about this is, oh, they screwed up on Batman's belt, then it's not that big of a deal in my mind. Although there was was something that kind of confused me. Batman portrayed Croc as stupid, even though in Vendetta he was clearly a very intelligent, cunning creature. Right, and now if you think about it, after this... He's always stupid. But before that, yeah, he was a smart man that put together a very intricate plan when it came to framing Harvey Bullock. Yeah. But then uh, after this episode, all of a sudden, he's just the dumb killer croc. Yeah, I I don't get why that happened. That's that's my main gripe with this episode. Where's the continuity there? When did he get stupid? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't mind so much Batman having portrayed him as being stupid. But the fact that they continued to portray him this way, when it wasn't Batman that was him anymore, that is a little irksome. But I don't think you can blame this episode. I think you have to blame the episodes that come after this. So, like Sideshow. Right, because now you could just say that it was Batman not portraying him as accurately as he should have, or as he could have been. Mm-hmm. That, you know, like I said, because it's Batman, you can get away with it. It's like, you know, we're going to talk about uh, what is reality later on. And during that episode, there's a couple of animation glitches. but they happen A couple? In, yeah. <laughs> but a lot of them happen in the virtual world, so you can kind of write them off. Yeah. So, again, I'm willing, to, I'm, I'm willing to, you know, just forget this portrayal of Croc because it wasn't Croc. For now. Later on, it's different. But for now, it's just Batman playing him incorrectly. That's how I'm going to justify it. If you disagree, that's okay. <laughs> uh, I, and I guess I can kind of see it considering the company that Croc was around there. Yeah. So it might have been, you know, probably was better for him to uh, be low-key and stupid. There, that way the villains ignored him and wouldn't suspect him of anything. That's about all I have to say about this episode. I, I think the last thing I want to say about this episode is that that reveal, the light swinging, and it goes from Croc's face to the shadowed bat mask back to Croc's face. Mm-hmm. Is so damn cool. It's, okay, no, it doesn't make sense. But neither do lights just hanging from nothing. And that's what was happening in the <laughs> background, you know? Yeah. You know, it's not meant to be taken literally. It's figuratively. We, You know, he is finally using his real Batman voice. And he stood up. And the rogues now realize who he is, so they're seeing him as he is. So they're seeing through this through the disguise is what that's meant to imply. It's not like his mask suddenly disappeared, or the killer croc mask disappeared there for a second. 
You know, so it, I, I liked that they were implying what the rogues were seeing there in, in that scene because it's just it's and it's such a beautiful shot, just the the light swinging, you know, Croc Batman back to Croc. It's so cool. Um, I guess I guess truly the last thing I will say about this episode, I forgot about this, is you know at the end, Batman, you know, it's revealed that Killer Croc was Batman all along. And all the rogues, except the Joker, who's like not silly, he they, they all pulled guns on Batman. And it turns out that all the thugs that we've seen in the background were really Gotham City police officers. Apparently, like every cop from Gotham had that. <laughs> now, it didn't irk me, but did it bother you that Batman walked into this situation, potentially set up this whole situation that could have ended in a massive gun battle? You know, now that I think about it, yeah, it, pro- it that does irk me. I, and I hadn't I hadn't thought about it until you just mentioned it, but you're right. Yeah, I mean, that, they're police officers, so it's okay that they have guns. That's fine. But he still set up this whole thing, clearly did, and any one of those guys goes crazy and decides to pull... I mean, think about it. Let's say, you know, okay, this didn't happen in the episode, but let's say... Harvey's coin drops out of his pocket and it lands face up or whatever, or bad side up, he might pull the trigger. And then all of a sudden you got cops dying, you got the rogues dying. And like I said, it doesn't really, I'm willing to overlook it because I, I, I'll admit that I'm overanalyzing it. Well, but, it, uh, I don't know. Well, if you, were, if you remember the setup of the room, the rogues were clearly in the center of the room, completely surrounded by cops at every degree, mm-hmm. and if we're taking this like a circle, which is what it was, basically, you know, what are they going to do? If they, sh- they they shoot a few cops, they're dead, every one of them. So I don't, I don't think it would have behooved them to uh, to shoot. So I guess I'm kind of willing to overlook that just because of how they were surrounded at every edge. Right, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like I can overlook it, but at the same time, we have to acknowledge that Batman set up a situation where a lot of people really could have died by gunfire. And that seems kind of the opposite of what he would normally be doing. Okay, I know I've said two times now that that was the last thing I was going to say about that, but I do have to say one more thing. Of course, when it's revealed that the police have been in the background the whole time, that kind of changes the Killer Croc throwing the guy out of the chair scene. (laughs) Because now you have to understand that that was Batman as Killer Croc beating up a police officer for his chair. (laughs) (laughs) Now, granted, you know, the cop obviously knew that he just kind of had to kind of take the punch and just kind of roll with it. But when you think about it that way, it's like, wait, Batman just beat up a cop. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, and, you know, now I'm thinking about it. I have to mention that the very last line of the episode was really a nice way to wrap it up. It's almost gone. Yeah, because... That that was pretty cool. Yeah, we've got, you know, Catwoman's status as a rogue is questionable, but we'll throw her in there. At the very least, she's an anti-hero. She goes against what Batman stands for, you know. So it makes sense for her to get one of those lines in too, because all the other rogues got them, or almost got them. They got to say the line. So it was nice that she, the sixth quote-unquote rogue, got to say it too. next episode is birds of a feather in this episode penguin has just been re-released from arkham and is expecting to 
rejoin the high society and have really everybody just, you know, pawing at his feet, you know, begging for his attention. But exactly the opposite happens. Every, everything goes wrong for him. He he has to ride a smelly bus full of, uh, well, shall we say, the uh, dredges of society. <laughs> and he and he gets back to his apartment. Everything is just dusty and covered up with plastic sheets and stuff. And, of course, Batman is watching his every move to make sure that he really is going to stay on the right side of the law this time. So, But in the meantime, uh, another member of the elite of Gotham, or I should say two of them, are plan to... Uh, they want to have a party, and they want to have a criminal in, in attendance just so they can, I guess, humiliate them? Yeah. Is that really their motive there? Just so they can, you know see them in the tabloids being just ripped apart and humiliated. Yeah, because what happened was, if you remember, ah, shoot, what was her name? Was it Veronica? Veronica Vreeland. Okay, when she, when we first meet her, she's complaining that she's only received 24 invitations to parties this month. Mm -hmm. So her idea is to, you know, they start talking about how when the Joker showed up to someone else's party, it was like the party of like the year. So they, they get the idea to invite the penguin to their party because they can make a fool out of him. And if they make a fool out of him, she will become the talk of the town again and will thus get invited to more parties. Right. So that that was her end goal, is to get more party invitations. Yeah, so basically, Penguin is the one that they feel just fits the bill perfectly. And so they, she starts to, you know, hang out with him and invite him to... to uh, you know, dinners and lunches, and Penguin. Penguin in this episode is really kind of complex. He, there's a real dichotomy of him. He's he's still the you know he's he's still very intelligent. Obviously, he he has a very very large vocabulary, but he's still like kind of the grotesque penguin who just eats anchovies and sardines with his hands in the middle of a really fancy restaurant. So he's basically humiliating her at every turn, but she kind of starts to like the guy. So, and, you know, Penguin starts to fall in love with her because he thinks that she's really being serious. But, of course, everything goes to hell because Penguin overhears uh, Veronica and her, I guess that's her, is that her brother? I, I don't remember, I don't know, it's not her husband, I don't no, think. No, it's not her husband because I think at one point she even calls his sexuality into question. There's one point where she says something like, uh, it's not often that a man comes to my rescue and she says it, I believe like right to his face. And because of the way he's portrayed, the way he looks, his voice, I think that might've been her questioning his, uh, manhood and then therefore sexuality. But again, I, you know, I could be reading into it. Maybe that's not what was going on, but yeah, they're, they're not a couple, uh, at best, their friends, possibly her brother, but I still think friends. Yeah, I think that's probably what it was yeah. too. So anyway, you know, Penguin overhears them talking about uh, their little plan to, you know, just humiliate the hell out of him, and he kidnaps Veronica, and Batman has to come to the rescue. With this one, you know, they were trying to establish the Penguin as a sympathetic villain, at least for this one episode, mm-hmm. and. It worked. It really worked. Because up until now, the Penguin was just the Penguin. He was just 
a sh- you know, it's kind of a stocky, flipper-handed the weirdo, that, weirdo just, that thought he was part of high society. But here, no, he gets used. And, you know, I was watching this episode with Jenny, and she's like, why doesn't Batman let the Penguin just get his revenge? And it was I had the struggle to kind of explain to her that Batman has to protect all life, even if they're dickheads. Mm-hmm. But as she was questioning it, I'm like, she's got a point. You know, Batman should just oh, kind of yeah. go... Oh, I have to go uh, to Crime Alley all of a sudden. They don't make him as sympathetic as, you know, Two-Face, as uh, uh, Mr. Freeze. Because anytime we see Two-Face, anytime we see Mr. Freeze, we're always reminded of their origins. We're always thinking, man, these guys got the short end of the stick, really. But when it comes to the Penguin, you know, after this episode, he just, in my mind, returns to just the Penguin. But for this one brief moment, they did give him a heart. They did make us, the viewers, feel bad for him. And I applaud them for that. They did a really good job of, of making him anything but the villain here. Yeah, and I at, I admit at first, when I first started watching this episode over again, because I haven't seen this episode in years, mm-hmm. and I started watching this episode, I, I really disliked it mm-hmm. as a, for the first, I'd say, ten minutes, because I was like, what is going on? This is stupid. Yeah. And and Penguin was really annoying, and the, and the Veronica and uh, Pierce were even worse. But, you know, as the episode went along, my grade for the episode steadily went up, up, up. Because it was the, you know, like we said, it was the one time where you can be sympathetic towards Oswald Cobblepot. He wasn't really the penguin in this episode until the very end. Uh, and the, the, you know, Batman wasn't, a, obviously was not the focal point of this episode. He only shows up for, what, like three minutes of the entire episode? Yeah, I mean, he's he's in and out, just like, I'm watching you, and then he saves the day at the end. That's it. Which obviously contributed to this episode in a, you know, a positive way. Um, I, think, I think the one line that really made this episode really good was Penguin's line uh, saying, all I wanted was a little friendship. That would have cost you nothing. That... That line is really powerful. It's like, insert knife, turn. You know, that's exactly what's happening there. He's, he's killing her with words, and he's just turning that knife, just keeping that wound open. It's he, he doesn't have to literally kill her. He's just doing it figuratively. That was really good. It's really touching. I'm trying to think of the moment where, it really, where I really started saying, wow, this is actually a really good episode, but... I can't really think of it. I think it was really nice the way they smoothed into it. Mm-hmm. You know, when re- you know, you saw Penguin really started to become, you know, a for you know, for lack of a better term, a good guy. For me, I- I'm in agreement with you. When I saw this episode, you know, the first time I saw it, and then the second and the third time I saw it, and throughout the ages, it's never really done it for me. But something about this viewing, maybe it is because we're trying to look at these a little deeper that we would mm-hmm. if we were just watching them for straight enjoyment. Uh, something about viewing it this time really did, I don't know, it, it clicked with me. I got it. You know, it felt good, and, and it, I, I saw what they were doing here. And I think the moment for me where I really felt like the Penguin was a human character, where I felt bad for the Penguin, was the scene where he and Bruce Wayne are on the balcony, and Bruce Wayne is talking to him, and the Penguin... He's he's like, oh, are you enjoying the Vreeland jewelry or something? Thinking the Penguin's stealing something. And he's like, oh, no, no. In fact, I want to add to the collection. And he's saying how he's going to give this pendant to Veronica. 
And then, mm-hmm. you know, right then, you're just like, oh, Pangolin. Because we know. We, the viewers, know what's going on at this point. But he doesn't. And it's like, and Bruce knows what's going on at this point, too. And everybody concerned, it was, should just be going, oh, man, you poor, poor little man. I'm so sorry for you. You know, that, that was really the moment for me where it all came together and you just, yeah. you just, your heart breaks for him right there. It really does. Yeah. And it's, I liken it to, um, the poor kid in elementary school who gets, is getting bullied by the same two people every day. But, you know, it's just not as overt Yeah, in this episode. But yeah, that's, you know, that's what I can relate it to. And this episode, like I said a few minutes ago, is the dichotomy of the penguin in this episode is just so awesome because you get to see, you know, the the thief and the murderous uh, side of the penguin, but only you know only in the first you know minute and a half and the last say five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, through the most most part, you you generally you genuinely see, excuse me, that he wants to he wants to turn a new leaf, and. <laughs> If it weren't for these two schmucks, you know, who knows what would have happened to him? Mm-hmm. He may not have been, a, you know, in the rogues gallery anymore. You know, if I'm gonna complain about one thing in this episode, it is the the, the, the first two minutes, the, the fight scene. It's so not needed. It comes off as filler because it's like, oh, the penguin just got out and he's already back to his old thing, his old ways, and then he's back in jail and he's getting out again. It just seemed a little redundant. I understand what they were doing there. They were showing that the last time the Penguin was released, he went straight back to crime, and they were juxtaposing it with this time when he gets out, he really means to go straight. I understand what they were doing there, but we know that he's done that in the past, that every time he's released, he goes back to his criminal ways. So I didn't feel that it was totally needed. I don't think it hurts the episode in a big way. It's not like I'm going to go, oh, I'm giving this episode a two because of it. No, 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 not that at all. But I do think it kind of hurts the episode just a little. We know the character, and even if this is your first... Even if this is the first time you've seen a Batman the Animated Series episode, it still comes across that the Penguin's been in and out of jail because Batman's following him, saying, oh, are you really gonna be good this time? So there's other ways it could have got across without, you know, the first two minutes or whatever. Though... And, uh, you know, as we're talking about those first few minutes, I will praise something. It was really nice to see someone else use smoke bombs on Batman. Normally Batman's throwing smoke bombs at people, mm-hmm. and the Penguin uses little smoke caplets on Batman. And I'm like, that was kind of neat. Normally, you know, the <laughs> Penguin using Batman's tricks against him. So even though I, I can complain about that first segment, there's something, there's a little uh, spark of life I can find in there. Yeah. This episode became an episode where you can just sit back and watch it and just be like, wow, that was really, really sad. Mm. And as I said earlier, this episode, I must have, I had to have raised my grade from what it would have, if the episode had gone for like the first five minutes, if that was how the episode had been the whole rest of the way, then I probably would have graded this episode about four points lower than I wound up Mm. grading it. So, you know, really, really good job. Just a couple of things I, I want to mention. I think seeing the penguin in a Viking helmet is like the tits. <laughs> <laughs> like him on that dragon with the Viking helmet is like 
so cool. If I could get a screen cap of that, I would so use that as an avatar at various. Oh, it's hilarious. Because um, you know, again, I'm watching this with Jenny, and she's like, she's like, "Is the penguin on a on a dragon?" And I'm like, "Yeah, but look, he's on a dragon." Because you know, I did, she didn't get that they were at the opera house that they were at earlier. Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Look, he's on a dragon." And he's got a Viking helmet. That's cool. And she just looks at me like, you're such a dork. <laughs> um, you know, in the beginning when the Penguin's getting on the bus, I really think that that we see a goth girl on the bus. I think that's supposed to be Death from Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Just with pale, just with, you know, pink skin instead of white. I didn't notice that. Either that or it's uh, Livewire making her a cameo <laughs> like three years before she was created. She would have had to have been, what, like 14 years old? Something like that, yeah. Um, but I saw her and I'm like, that's either Livewire or Death. And I got to go with Death. That would be really nifty if it was. I, I mean, it, it looks just like her and the leather and the hair. Again, she didn't have the, you know, Joker white skin as she does in the comic. She, you know, she looked like your average Caucasian-skinned woman in in terms of flesh tone, I should say. But you know, I, I don't know. To me, that's death. That was a death cameo. <laughs> and there's just a couple little jokes I like, like the the penguin. And I, the reason I like the penguin delivering this joke that I'm about to get to is because he really is trying to turn over a new leaf. Granted, at this moment, we don't know it to be true. Batman doesn't know it to be true, but the Penguin knows in his heart that he's going to really try. And here's this dark, avenging angel who's getting in his face, saying, I don't believe you, and it is ready to punch him. So, when the Penguin grabs that can of rat poison, and he's like, care for a drink? It's like, that is good. Because you could, it's, (laughs) you know, when you see it the first time, it's like, oh, you think it's just the Penguin just trying to kill Batman or whatever. But when you actually think about it, you're like, no, he's really annoyed, and he has every right to be annoyed because this guy doesn't believe him. This guy's ready to throw him right back in the clink. And he's saying, Well, well maybe he has good reason. Well, no, I didn't say he doesn't have good reason. I'm just saying that Batman's not even willing to trust this guy in the slightest, and I like the fact that they showed the Penguin's annoyance. Oh, it was a great line. Mm-hmm. I, won't, I won't deny that at all. It really was a great line. It was not quite as good as Poison Ivy's line in the last no, episode. No, no. You know, I like Jim Gordon. I'm a big fan of Gordon. As am I. I think in our last episode, I might have called Gordon a badass. It was either episode seven or eight. I don't remember. And in this one, he's a badass again. You know, you got, what's his name, Pierce? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You've got, I know what you're talking about, too. Yeah, go ahead. You've got Pierce in the office saying, well, it's been over 24 hours. And Gordon just stands up, and he's like, if you people hadn't invited him to your party, this would have never happened. And it's like... Whoa, Gordon's flipping out. And what did he call him, a sniveling, two-faced little runt or something like that? He's got some words for him, yeah. Sniveling. I know sniveling was in there, but I can't remember the rest of it to save my life. Because we normally don't see Gordon flip like that. Normally, Gordon, I mean, Gordon's the commissioner of Gotham City because he's calm, cool, he's a great cop, he's a really good diplomat. But here, they've just, they've brought the Penguin back. So that's why Gordon's pissed off. The Penguin was going to reform... Now they all know it, and these two schmucks fucked it all up. And Gordon has every right to be ticked off and getting in this guy's face. Now I don't remember. Does he actually grab the guy by like the collar, or does he just? No, I think he face? just. I think he just slams his hands on the desk and like leans over the desk at the guy. No, he gets up and he does. He at the very least gets up. 
Yeah, I mean, no, that's what I mean. He stands up, slams oh, his hands okay. on the desks, and, and, and looks over. Okay. I think that's what happens anyway. But it's just, it's just one of those moments where it's like, yeah, Gordon, you're a badass. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, on a technical note, did, were some of the scenes out of focus for you? Or was that just my DVD? No, they were. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I was watching this. I was like, is my DVD screwing up? Yeah, when because like the animation kind of kind of blurred, you know, in parts for just a split second. Yeah, I, when I was watching this, it happened kind of early on. I'm like, hmm, that's weird. And then it happened at least one more time for a slightly extended period. And I, I looked over at Jen and I'm like, okay, I hope this is on James's DVD too and not just mine, because then I know it's a it's not just something wrong with my disc. It's something that happened in the production of the episode. Because mm-hmm. I'm. Yeah, it's just a little irksome. I just wanted to make sure that wasn't my disc. And now, the the last thing I'm going to mention here is there are three Easter eggs in this episode, at least three that I picked up. The first one is we see Parr Street, and the director of this episode is Frank Parr. Now, the other two are, there's an intersection that is Barr and Englehart. Those are comic book creators. And if you'll afford me the time, I can tell you what they've done, if you don't mind, James. Oh, Englehart, I th- we've gone over Englehart on a previous episode, Did I believe. We? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, okay, pardon that. Um, Barr, just real quick, that's actually Mike W. Barr, and I'm just going to run through this as fast as I can. He's had some uh, long writing stints on, uh, there was a series, an old series called Batman and the Outsiders. That ran for 32 issues, and then Batman left the team, and it just became The Adventures of the Outsiders, and that ran from issues 33 to 46. So, And he wrote that entire series. So issues 1 through 46, he did the whole Outsider series. And then he would come back, and there would be another Outsider series that ran for 28 issues. He wrote that. He had stints on Star Trek comics. He wrote Green Lantern for like a year. And here's the big one. He wrote Batman, Son of the Demon, which is the story that introduced Damian Wayne. That In that story, Batman knocks up Talia. And he didn't know it. And Ta- Rachel Ghoul didn't know it. Talia hid her pregnancy from both men, and she raised the child elsewhere because she, I think, if I remember correctly, she wanted uh, the baby to grow up to overthrow her father someday. And at first it was questioned, for years it was questionable as to whether uh, that story was in continuity, and they finally brought it back into continuity because Grant Morrison has brought Damien in as Talia and Bruce's son. So since that's kind of like, like the story right now, the Batman story, like Batman mm-hmm. having a son, I just I just had to bring it up that he created Damian Wayne. So, and you're sure I mentioned Inglehart before? I'm I'm almost positive okay. you did. Like maybe it might have been the second episode oh, of, the sh- of of WFP. But okay, you know, I'd, if you want to go ahead and do it, just well, just yeah. real case, just real quick, in case I didn't, and in case we have new listeners, let me just run through this. Um, again, he's another writer. His name's Steve Inglehart, and this guy he hasn't had very many. Run like very lengthy runs on like the Batman comics. He did have about a five issue run on Detective, but I mean, this guy has done it all: Avengers, Captain America, The Defenders, Doctor Strange, The Green Lantern Corps, The Incredible Hulk, The Justice League of America. Um, do you remember in the nineties there was a TV show called Nightman? Do you remember that, mm, James? Not ringing a bell. Okay, he created that character for a different company, so. You know, just thought I'd mention it. Some people might remember Nightman. You know, he wrote, I believe, the entire West Coast Avengers series when it was West Coast Avengers, because then it became Avengers West Coast. Yeah, because um, I actually have the first. I think I have the first issue. Oh, there you go. He wrote that one. So again, again, these these 
the guys doing the show just paying homage to these creators that obviously inspired them. And I like how they do it. They do it in subtle ways. Just, oh, here's a street sign. You know, it's one of those things you have to pause the DVD to, to pick up on. And I, I enjoy those. Because me as a fanboy, I can go, oh, Inglehart, Inglehart. Oh, yeah, that's that guy. And then I look him up, and it's, it's really cool doing that kind of research. I don't know. I just geek out yeah. with stuff like that. Our next episode is What is Reality? And this episode is the second appearance of the Riddler, am I right? I Yes, it is. And what's happening is Gotham City is under attack by a bunch of computer hacking. And with each hack that happens, there's a strange riddle left at every scene. Hmm, I wonder who that could be. <laughs> and, you know, first it's a guy trying to make a withdrawal from an ATM and then the stock market gets hit, then the DMV gets hit. Uh, so Batman obviously very quickly deduces that it's the Riddler who's doing this, uh, and he's been erasing all of his records from existence uh, so that you know the police won't be able to track him down or you know remember what he did in the past or anything. Uh, so as this is happening... Uh, there's a mysterious box that arrives at police headquarters, and Batman and Robin open it, and they find it's a gigantic computer. So Robin, of course, being the computer geek that he is, has to get in there and, and uh, toy with it, and he finds out that it's a virtual reality uh, world pro, uh, program. So you put you know put a little helmet on, and you you go inside the computer and into this whole new world. So, what, what uh, Batman, meanwhile, is trying to stop uh, the Riddler's goons from stealing more of uh, Enigma's information, and he gets attacked, and uh, back at police headquarters, uh, Gordon uh, puts the helmet on while Robin, you know, he and Robin go into the, the computer world, and Robin just, hey, this is really cool, and plays with it, and then he, he gets off of the machine, and Gordon, but Gordon stays on for a minute because he's, you know, he's like, wow. You know, he doesn't really say anything, but he's clearly taken by this program. So Gordon gets trapped inside the machine. Uh, his, you know, his brain basically has been trapped inside this machine, and Robin and Batman have been, you know, trapped out of it. So Batman has to put the helmet on and go inside it with help from Robin in the outside world. And he has to rescue rescue Gordon before he has a massive cardiac arrest and dies. You know, you're you're a Riddler guy. Not that I dislike the character, but I think you like him a little more than I do. Uh, so let's start with you here. What, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, well, average at best, mm -hmm. because first and foremost, the animation is just god awful. In the first, you know, it kind of gets better in the second half with the the virtual reality program at the near the end of it with the Riddler melting himself into several copies of himself. That's kind of cool, yeah. but for the most part, there this is some of the worst animation I've seen to date. Uh, like with the car at the DMV parking lot, the that was the worst explosion in the entire series. I would be really shocked if I found a worse one anywhere in this entire series. Isn't it just like... It's just like a red explosion, isn't it? It's just like a red plume of smoke. Well, it's like it's like they put a couple of animation cells over the, the the building that it crashes into, and it kind of just there's no the car is still intact, the wall is still intact. Uh, it's just a bunch of red smoke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so awful. But 
I think the, my main problem with this episode, though, is the lack of originality. Because there's so many things in this episode that happened in the last Riddler episode, in the, or in the first Riddler episode. You go, like, well, the Chinese finger puzzle was in the last one, now they got a Chinese puzzle box in this one. And it's all, and Robin's line was almost the exact same as the one when they, when they do it in the last one. He's like, it's a variation on the Chinese finger puzzle. Or, or you know, Nigma says in that episode, it's a variation on the Chinese finger puzzle. <clears throat> And Robin in this episode, hey, it's a variation on the Chinese puzzle box. And it's the same Riddler goons. Uh, the, they're the exact same. You, you can go back and look. They're, they're the same guys. Well, at least he's uh, hiring the same guys, you know? Why would, yeah, but why would he... I don't even know why he would rehire these guys if they didn't couldn't get the job done before. Uh, he's loyal to his guys, that's all. <laughs> I think I actually think they come back in the third Riddler oh, episode too. What is the next Riddler one? I can't remember. That's uh that's Riddler's Reform, which is actually a really good episode. So uh, he tries to open a toy company, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I really, really dig that episode and I can't wait till we review it because okay. I have a lot of good things to say about cool. it. But uh you know, that that's that's my th- thoughts on, for the most part, in this episode. There's a couple of things that I like. I th- this episode gets, you know, it gets kind of dark actually when, you know, the they show when Enigma uh, uh, shows Gordon's heart on the screen and he says, "I give it about 15 minutes." <laughs> it's like, wow, that was really dark and really cool. So I like, I dig that. I really did. Um, but for the most part, this this episode is just bland. So, what, what do you think about it? You know, it's not. It's not a bad episode, as you said. Oh, yeah, like I said, it's average. It's average. I think I'd go a little better than average, um, because I liked some of the riddles, like the whole thing with the quarters and the penny. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of cool. The whole what's a penny made out of? It's copper. So he figures out that they're talking about the police. There's quarters, so it's oh, it's police headquarters. There's a dollar and one cent, so it's room one. I thought that was a really cool kind of mind teaser. Um, well, that's that's part of why I like the Riddler character so much, is because you know the Riddlers are uh, the Riddlers. The riddles are fun to try and solve. You know, if you get to be detective too. Right. Yeah. And see, that's why if I ever get a chance to write Batman, I will never write a Riddler comic because I'm not good at solving riddles, so there's no way in hell I could come up with a, a satisfactory would, one. I'd have to hire um, you me, or something. Yeah, me on the other hand, I would readily jump at the opportunity. <laughs> I'd be like, James, come here, I need help writing this Riddler story. I'll give you co-credit. But yeah, no, I like the riddles in this one. I even like the one at the end, where the that the one that Robin kind of scoffs at, where it's like, if the world were equitable, I'd have my old job. And it's like, if the world was fair, I'd have my exposition, and there's the world's fair exposition. That was kind of neat. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, uh, but it's neat at the same time. Um, yeah. So, you know, I like that. I like, you know, when the robot car crashes, Batman is shining his light in there, and it's like this, it's black and blue and white with the outline of the flashlight and all the twisted metal. It's like, that is a really beautiful, really cool scene. And as cool as it is, though, it doesn't jive with the rest of the animation, because you're right, the animation is, in this episode is kind of lacking. We'll say for the most part, but that one shot, you could tell, I think someone, it's like, okay, someone else drew that moment, and then they had, like, their B team doing the rest of this, but an A guy did that right there. (laughs) Um, I don't even get what the Riddler's plan was. Well, yeah, exactly. Okay, I get that he's erasing himself, but to what end? 
Now, because you said it was like, you're like, so the police can't reference his crimes? You even kind of questioned yeah. it, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I was, I'm, while I was trying to, or while I was going over that, I was like, I guess that's what he was trying to yeah. do. I was, I was trying to come up with something for a plot summary. Yeah, because I, like I said, I, I understand that he's erasing himself. If he can erase, erase the files and get rid of the hard copies, that's what he's doing. But why? Is it because Edward Nigma no longer exists and it's only the Riddler? Well, he does. Yeah, you know, he does say that in this episode. Actually, it, it, like specifically says Edward Nigma no longer exists. That's true, but I still don't get why he. Was yeah, doing exactly. It. Yeah, uh, there's. What's the mo? Or, you know. Yeah. To what? It, to what end? Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, it, but and along those lines, why was he going after Gordon? Yeah, it was Batman that got involved, he even says that. He's like, if you wouldn't have gotten involved, this would have been a personal matter. And Batman says, attempted homicide is never a personal matter. And the Riddler's like, well, it would have been if you didn't get involved. It's kind of a circular logic that was really funny. Um, But it's like, yeah, why wasn't it... It would have been neat if it was Batman that was jacked in there, and either Robin had to go in after him, or Batman had to beat the machine the whole time, and there was no threat to Gordon at all. Yeah. I really don't get why it was Gordon. I, I just don't. Or, hell, it was Robin that was trapped and Batman had to go in. There was really no need to involve Gordon in that whole mess. As I said earlier, I, I didn't mind any problems that there were with the animation while it was in the virtual world. And, yeah, because you can excuse it there. Right, because there's a scene where Batman's walking past the door, and it's the one where the question marks are shooting at him. And on the door, it's question mark, question mark, the word riddle, question mark, question mark. When Batman approaches the door, it's the word riddle, riddle with three question marks, but none before it. It's like riddle and then three question marks, or before it was two question marks, the word riddle and then two more. But it's like, well, it's a virtual world. Maybe the Riddler kind of lost his concentration for a second there, and the door changed. I can kind of accept mm-hmm. that there. Let me ask you something. Um, when the goons are going through the files. There were three names that I noticed on the files. <laughs> yeah. Dave Nugent, Sally Newbank, and Lyle Newcamp. Uh-huh. Now, I have no idea who any of those people are, or if they even exist. Do you? To my knowledge, they're they're nobody. They're not re- names that ring a bell. I didn't even do any research on them. Um, so I have to assume maybe they're just friends of the animators. Yeah, because I, I think there's a Dave Nugent that plays soccer in England, but I don't, know. I don't even know. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> That's about it. The, the reason I chuckled when you brought it up is because each one of them has a moniker. One yeah. of them is Smelly, uh-huh. and Sally, her moniker is Good Time. Good Time. Good Time Sally. <laughs> it's like, wow. Okay. I, was like, I was like, hmm, what's this person known for? <laughs> yeah. Eh? Um, uh, and there's a f- and then, I'm sorry, go ahead. And the third one was crazy. Oh, was it crazy? I didn't remember. Crazy that one. Lyle, crazy Lyle Newcamp. <laughs> so I don't know. I was just seeing if you knew who they w- might have been. No, like I said, none of those names rung a bell. So I did absolutely no research on them. If it it could turn out that they're really big comic people, and I just didn't pick up on it, I don't know. I could have been enthralled by Good Time Sally and thinking, <laughs> why don't I have a Good Time Sally in my life? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I kid. Not really. Oh, but, yeah, because Jenny would get mad at yeah, you. Yeah, pretty much so. <laughs> Um, now, did you notice that when Batman is taking on the two goons at the DMV, you know, he, he kicks the one. Like, the one has disappeared real briefly. He's, like, hiding. And he, he's fighting the other one. And when he kicks that guy in the chest, Batman kicks him so hard that he loses his balance and falls over. Yeah. Batman's normally, like, this graceful fighter. You know, in the past, we've mentioned he can just kind of step 
you know, he can sidestep someone and their own momentum hurts him. Here, he kicks a guy so hard that he himself is falls down. It's like yeah. the most awkward kick that I have ever seen. And I've seen some pretty awkward kicks in some pretty crappy fights. And that kick was bad. It's just like, I don't know. It, it was it was like he had one leg. It was like Zach Gowan tried to kick someone and he just fell over. <laughs> I do like the fact that the Riddler apparently has some sort of Wi-Fi. He's like, I have, I have an, uh, uh, what did he say? I have a cordless modem. Yeah. <laughs> if you hadn't been so enthralled by the... You know, by the uh, the software, you would have noticed that the hardware. I have a wireless modem. Yeah. Like really, Riddler. You know, well, I guess you know the first time, the first couple times I saw this episode, it bothered me that the Riddler was doing all this stuff. But then when I was watching it, like as I would watch it, you know, years later, and then especially this last time, I'm like, you know, it doesn't bother me anymore because I completely forgot that the Riddler was a computer programmer. Mm-hmm. You know, I know him as just the Riddler. In the comics, I don't know what the Riddler was before he was the Riddler. I don't know what Enigma did. But now that they've set him up as this computer programmer, I can go, oh, i got to smack my head and go, doh. I forgot that that's what they set him up to be. So it's okay that he can do all this this kind of computer stuff and have technology that would have been very, very hard to come by and almost futuristic back in 92. But yeah, I just thought it was weird that he has a wireless modem in 1992. <laughs> and considering in their world, it almost is like 1940. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. There was one riddle that I really, really liked, but I can't remember which one it was. Um, I think maybe it was the DMV one where he, he's like, they have to. Tr- he transfers it to Roman numerals. Yeah, that was cool because it was the 500 pound gorilla, which was the D. The millipede, which was M, and then the five elephants, I think, right? That was the v. the one in the tr- yeah, the one in the trunk, uh, two in the back, mm-hmm. or whatever. Two in uh, whatever the front, two in the back, one in the trunk. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, I really like that, but you know that's maybe because I like Roman numerals so much. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> Only you'll get that. Yeah, I know. Everybody else is going, <laughs> "What the fuck did he just say?" <laughs> Uh, um, anyway, <laughs> tangent aside. <laughs> now, we I have to point out the apparent ineptitude of the Gotham City Police Department, specifically the Gotham City SWAT team. Oh, the bomb squad. Good Lord. The bomb <laughs> squad pulls guns on the bomb? Uh, yes! Uh, thank you. I was looking at that. I was like, what are they doing? <laughs> that is this, so thing isn't gonna, this thing doesn't have hands that it's going to raise like... <gasps> Okay, you got me, you got me. <laughs> that, that is so awesome. When I, I watched this episode twice before recording because, you know, obviously, James, you know, we were supposed to record this a day prior, and I mm-hmm. said, let's put this off because I wasn't in the mood, I wasn't in the right place to watch these episodes because when I first watched this one, I was barely paying any attention, and I didn't mm-hmm. think that was fair. I, how can I cover no. an episode that I wasn't paying attention to? Well, the one thing that did catch my attention the first time I viewed this yesterday, obviously not, not the first time I viewed it ever, but the first time before this recording, was that thing. The cops pulling guns on a bomb. and then, uh, Or what could be a bomb. It could be anything. Yeah, it's a box. Yeah. They're pulling guns on a yeah, box. Yeah, the box comes down. There's a computer. And they don't even pull their guns then. But it's when the, it chimes that all of them stand up and pull their revolvers out. And it's like, what do you think you're going to do? How is shooting a computer or a virtual bomb or whatever going to help in this situation, fellas. I think, I think if anything, it would make it a lot worse. Yes. Cause if you look, Batman even stands there and kind of, he kind of turns his head a little like, what the hell? Like it's a 
what are you doing? <laughs> you dumbasses. It's, it's, you're the reason I need to exist, not the criminals. It's you guys. <laughs> you can't do your damn jobs. <laughs> I guess the last thing I, I really want to say about this is, and this goes back to not quite understanding a lot of what was going on in this one, is what exactly happened at the end? Because it looks like the Riddler gets out. Because he pulls off the helmet. We see him do it because he actually takes his hat off in the virtual world. But then even after he pulls his hat off and therefore should be out of the virtual world, he's still delivering a message to Batman, Robin, and Gordon. And then all of a sudden something happens, and it's like he's talking to someone. He's like, no, not yet. Who's he talking to? What's happening? Why is he fried? And Okay, I understand what's going on, you know, that he's been overloaded. Yeah. I understand mm-hmm. that. But and that last sight of him is really creepy, him all shriveled up like an old man. But I didn't yeah. understand what was going on there because it's clearly like he's talking to someone, like he had a benefactor or an assistant, because he's like not yet as if he's yelling at someone not to shut the program down. Well, no, my my attempt to ex- explain this part is, you know, he take like you said, he takes his hat off, he's gone, but he's like, oh yeah, I forgot to give the last clue, so he puts it back on, and there he's back in the world again. But you know, the you he completely lost control of it. You know, you know he split himself into what like thirty-two different riddlers, yeah. and he started to lose complete control of the program. It was crashing all around him, and he's like begging the program not to stop. He's like, "No, not yet, not now." That's that's from the f- first time I ever saw this episode. That's what I thought he was doing. You got me there. This, this, yeah, this is not this is not something that I just thought of off, you know, off the top of my head or anything. Back when I, you know, back in ninety-two or ninety-three, whenever this came out, I was like. No, he's you know he's begging the program not to you know stay on for just you know four more seconds or something. Yeah. And and you know like he's obs- you know he's an obsessive compulsive. He has to give his his clue at all costs. You know. So that's my that's my attempt to explain it. And like you said, with him shriveled up and like twitching in the chair, that goes back to what I said about being you know it really became a pretty dark episode at the end there. Yeah. But they, so. they never reference that again. That yeah, that might be the biggest thing that bothers me about this episode, even more than the animation, is you know how did he get out? How did he get his mind back? They just leave him there. And it's like what happened between that and Riddler's reform? Yeah. Now, if we don't mention this, and this just came to me, if we don't mention this, someone at the forums is going to go or through email is going to go, hey, how come you didn't mention this? This is sort of similar, and I stress sort of similar to the, uh, what the hell was the Batman movie with the Riddler? Batman Forever? Uh, yeah. You know, in there, Riddler's got, what's he got? He's got some computer program. It's been so He's got long. The, what's going the on? Blend, the giant blender thing. Uh-huh. The box, called the box, that he siphons all the memories of, or and all the information of Gotham to his brain. And does he get, he gets kind of mentally screwed up by that thing, doesn't he? Yeah, Batman throws, uh, you know, it, a huge batarang at it, and it explodes, and he's sitting in the chair when it happens, so all that shit gets, you know, warped into his brain, or it gets sucked out of his brain, or something mm-hmm. happens there. See, that, that's what I'm talking about there, where I say it's sort of similar. In the cartoon, we have the Riddler being mentally fucked up because of his invention, and in the movie, that is a very similar thing would happen. So, like yeah. I said, if we didn't then, mention it, someone would say, hey, why didn't you mention it? So it had to be said. Yeah. Even though I never wanted to talk about those movies ever on this show, <laughs> now I have. You, you, I, I've tainted this show. <laughs> I 
Next would be I Am the Night, which is, um, how do I say, the Batman loses his mind and goes completely emo episode. Um, <laughs> basically, Batman is beginning to question whether anything he does is worthwhile. You know, it's sort of the Hydra effect. You know, you cut off one head, two grow back type of thing. Is, is kind of what's going... It's never explicitly said like that, but that's what he's thinking. You know, for every criminal he stops, there's two more being born a block away. There's only so much one man can do. And in the meantime, uh, while Batman's questioning his, his faith here, so to speak, he's, you know, stopping... He's trying to get to uh, Crime Alley to deliver his roses, as he does from time to time. And that delays him from getting to a sting operation... Uh, and when he finally gets to the sting, uh, the cops are and the criminals who are trapped in a warehouse, as always, uh, they're, they're mixed up in a firefight. And uh, Batman tries to subdue it by doing a really cool move where he's got the like a rope tethered to the roof and he's running along the wall. That was really cool. And he's yes. throwing smoke bombs in there, trying to smoke everybody out. And he, he stops all the criminals except one called the Jazz Man. Um, for, most likely because he carries his Tommy gun and what was that? What the hell was that? A, a saxophone viol- case or a violin? Violin case. case. Yeah. He he's got it. He's got it carried in there. And that guy has a really cool design. I'd like to say too. It's a very distinct face. Well, he gets away, and in the process of getting away, it's never quite shown how he does it, but he shoots Jim Gordon. You can't question whether Gordon gets shot or not. It's not like Gordon got hit by a car or something else. I mean, they flat out say that the ballistics have come back and they match the jazz man's gun. Gordon was shot and he's, you know, literally on his deathbed. He's in the hospital and the jazz man's trying to, he's, he's caught, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And he is, he escapes from, uh, stone. Right. Yeah. He's, he's caught and he, he wants to get out of town, but before he gets out of, you know, he's going to escape. And before he gets out of town, though, he wants to finish the job on Gordon. And it's never quite said why he, like, you know. Oh yeah, it is said. Because, yeah, I forgot it, yeah, was it said is said because that's right. He says uh, Gordon stopped him from getting like the biggest score of his life, right? Okay, yeah. pardon me. Yeah, so you know, he 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 wants to make sure that Gordon's dead. He wants his final revenge on this man who stopped him. And while he's trying to get to the hospital and, and kill Gordon. Batman is, you know, his, his faith in himself is, is further weakened because, you know, he feels had he not been sulking in Crime Alley and he would have got to the, to the stakeout, you know, five minutes sooner, Gordon wouldn't have got shot. You know, his, this man he idolizes would not be on the verge of death. And from there, basically, you know, Batman saves the day when he stops the jazz man and his faith is restored. And some kid that he helped earlier, um, a thug, a wannabe thug, you know, that he helped earlier, put him in the uh, the mission, uh, actually does reform, and Batman realizes that, yeah, you know what, criminals may constantly be spawning on the street, but as long as I'm doing good, as long as I'm helping kids like this, it's all worth it. The one man can make a difference. Right, yeah, that, that's pretty much what's going on here, and as we all know, you know, doesn't really need to be said, but I'll say it anyways, of course, Gordon pulls through, so... Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I got on this one is in terms of, you know, plot. Well, yeah, and I think, I don't know if we said this earlier or not, this, the animation of this episode is just brilliant. Mm-hmm. 
all around. From the first second you see Batman in the Batcave, there's details on on his face and his costume that have not been shown before in any episode. The more there's more shadows, there's more lines, there's more you know depth to it. Mm-hmm. It's not just you know solid square head Batman. It's like there's the curvature. You know, this is just you know stuff that I'm recognizing here, being the animation geek that I am. But it's it was just cool the whole episode. There were there was more emphasis on animation, I think, on this episode than anything since maybe Heart of Ice. And this, I liked, you know, I, I, I think you and I are going to have vastly different opinions on this episode, because I really liked this episode, uh, emo stuff notwithstanding. <laughs> but there was, you know, there was, I think there was some continuity that they uh, they pulled out, like the Penguin conviction overturned. I think that wouldn't you say that was continuity from two episodes ago with the birds of a feather? It could be, yeah, that definitely could be because it would make sense. And the the dialogue in this episode was probably the most mature of anyone any episode yet. Also, like in the alley where the two guys confront, uh, I think I think the kid's name is Wizard. It's something I like think that. That's yeah, his, Wizard or Wizard. Because I think Seth. Sure which. Yeah, because Seth Green does his oh, voice. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, a young Seth Green. That's crazy. Uh. But one of the when he says, "I just I don't have the money right now," and the guy says, uh, "All right, I'm going to cut out your liver and fry it in a oh, pan." Yeah, it's like, wow, <laughs> that that is that's hardcore for what you know is supposed to be considered a children's cartoon yeah. show. So that I really really love that. Um, but I, you know, on a whole, I I just really dig this episode because I think. You need this kind of episode just because Batman is who he is. He's a moping, you know, brooding guy who never gets over the death of his parents. And, you know, I think, you know, at times this episode goes a bit too far with the emo. But on the whole, I really I really dig this episode. So, but I don't know. I know you have different opinions than I do, so... Again, like with the last one, I don't think that this is a bad episode in the slightest. I think it's average, maybe a little better... Uh, because of the animation, uh, because of some of the darker dialogue, like, I'm going to fry your liver. Um, <laughs> hell, it gets points because, you know, Barbara Gordon's in it, and, you know, I, got, yeah. I, you know, I, love, <laughs> I love Barbara Gordon. But I, I think where this one failed, at least where it failed for me, is, is in that it was trying too hard to be, oh, you know, it was, okay... They got the point across that Batman, you know, is this dark, brooding guy. I get that, but it was—it just went too far. I mean, he's throwing around tables. He's, you know, literally sitting in a like—I I don't know if it was a chair or if it was a rock-shaped chair or something. I mean, he's—he's he's just brooding in his cave. Alfred says he hasn't eaten in days, and it just was like overly melodramatic, way too much for for my liking. Um, and I and I agree to you, with you on that to an extent. So yeah, it's we're not too far yeah, off it's there. It's just again just trying too hard is what it felt like. Again, I get what they were going for. I like some of what was there, but just you know, I don't know. Just again, I, I'm going to say it again. Just trying too hard. That, that's all I can say, and I, I really can't express what I mean by that. Well, um. One thing, another thing I liked about this episode is something that you really never expect 
Batman to say. He he said, I don't remember what the line was before it, but he's talking about Gordon. He said, he's a friend. Pause. More than a friend. So it's like, there you really, you know, how many times in comic book, DC Comics history has Batman ever said, called somebody right. a friend? You know, it's a very, 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 very rare occurrence. So, but, you know, Gordon, if there's anybody that is a friend to him, it's Gordon. And I like and I liked that. It was a great little moment. Yeah, and you know, I like the fact that he's saying that Gordon's his friend, and then I think it's like in the next breath, and maybe it's another scene completely, but I think it's right there. He, without saying it, tells Robin that he loves him. He says, uh, "What's he say?" It's a, it's a. I know what you're saying. He said, uh, "What happens next time if I let somebody else down?" Uh, uh, God, who he says somebody? Then he says Alfred. And he says, Yeah, you. and he like turns around and looks at him in this loving father kind of way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it need not be said that I love you, but that's that's the way it is. You know, and you get that, but and that's a really great emotional scene, but I think you know, him throwing around tables and moping in chairs, it was just laying it on too thick. And had some of that stuff not been there, I think it would have been so much better. Well, maybe maybe it was a necessary evil for because look at the title of the episode. I am the yeah. knight. You know, that that in and of itself is pretty melodramatic. So you know, maybe and maybe that you know set the tone for the entire episode. I guess it did. Yeah. But and and like I said, I agree with you to an extent. They really did lay it on too thick, like with the table throwing the tables into the. Into the depths of the cave. Yeah, I mean, he rips his mask off like and he just lets it fall into the chasm. And he delivers the, you know, if if you stare into the abyss long enough, it stares back at you. Line. It's like. Uh, yeah, that I I hated that yeah. one. I I that right when he said that I was like, God, am I at a Fallout Boy concert <laughs> or something? It's like God, emo, emo, yeah, emo. The, yeah. I think the thing is, is it, it just doesn't jive with the mood of the previous episodes or any ones that would really come after this, even the darker episodes. You know, we have a dark episode in, you know, the form of, like, Two-Face. But this yeah. goes, like, way above and beyond that, and it just it just didn't even feel like the same cartoon to me. It didn't feel like the same animators to me. It didn't feel like the same writers to me. It was like this whole other thing that somehow just got snuck in there. I, I don't know. I, I honestly maybe maybe if it came after I, I don't know, like Dreams in Darkness or something, it would have fit better. That's the one where he's an Arkham, Scarecrow. right? Right. Yeah, and he, I was you're right. I thought that same thing as I'm watching this. I didn't remember the name of the episode, but I thought to myself, if I saw this episode directly after the one where Batman was in Arkham, I got no problem with it. But this is many many episodes later. In fact, let me look yeah. right now and see the differences of where these two aired, okay? We have I Am the Night, mm-hmm. was November 10th of 92, and then, what did you say, Dreams in Darkness? Yeah. Uh, well, they did kind of air back-to-back, whoops. Dreams what? in Darkness was November 3rd of 92, and as I, well, and well as I said, I Am the hmm. Night was literally one week later. One week later, so... um, Maybe they were, maybe they did kind of fit together yeah, pretty well. Yeah, because they're separated by 21... Episodes. Dreams and Darkness is uh, production number 28, and mm-hmm. I Am the Night is production number 49. So there's a big gap between episodes production-wise, 
But maybe they did go, or we're going to air this one, and a week later we're going to air this one because it'll jive that way. So I'm going to say this right now. Knowing that these two aired literally just one week apart, I'm not going to say my grade now, but I, as we were talking, I scribbled out my old score and I bumped it up by one point just because they did come a week apart. So that makes sense then. But, yeah. it, you know, if, if, you know, if we're going to look at them 21 episodes apart, it doesn't jive, but I'll, I'll bump it up just because I know the air dates now. And I think one last thing I want to say about this is, you know, this was another one of those very rare occurrences of, oh, my mm-hmm. God, Harvey Bullock. And Harvey Bullock, of all people, says yeah. it. That's, I think that makes it even more powerful. That, that is true. You, you see Gordon laying on the ground with a bullet in his chest, and then Bullock, even, you know, the the unflinchable, I guess if that's a word, <laughs> Bullock, is, is, uh, says, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So... It's that's that was a really really powerful moment. And we had another one earlier too. I think uh, Pierce in the Penguin episode said, "Oh my lord!" And this yeah. one it carries much more weight, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to point out that there was one other one in uh, this batch of episodes. Um, though, you know, the lip syncing in this one is bad. I, I didn't note exactly where, but there were a couple of points where I remember if I'm noticing lip syncing then there's got to yeah. be something going on that's just wrong. It's. I think I think Robin might have been the worst of the that, lot. Maybe that is the, what it is. Sinking. I don't know. I think his was the worst. Because I think, I want to say that Jazzman's was pretty okay, mm-hmm. but but Robin's and maybe Alfred's were just terrible. So, yeah, I definitely docked a point for that. You know, again, another Easter egg in this one, they mention that the Jazzman, I think it is, can be found on the corner of Adams and O'Neill. That's uh, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. Who Have I mentioned them on the show before? I don't believe so. Okay, I'll do this real quick. Um, Neil Adams is, he's like a legendary comic book artist. Absolutely legendary. legendary. He uh, worked with Denny O'Neill on uh, uh, Green Lantern. They, they didn't, they weren't on that book for, he wasn't on that book for too long, only about 13 issues. But it's literally like the definitive Green Lantern run. Um, as for Mr. Denny O'Neill, I mean, if remember earlier I said Englehart had worked on, you know, almost everything. Right. Denny O'Neill has literally been on everything. I mean, as a writer, he's been on Amazing Spider-Man. Remember that series, Azrael, the Batman spinoff? Right. That went 100 episode or issues. He wrote the entire thing. He wrote 100 issues monthly, and that doesn't even count the annuals that I'm sure there were. He had since on Batman, Daredevil, Detective, The Flash, Green Lantern, uh, a really long run on Green Lantern. It went pretty much from issue 76 to 129. And that, of course, is during the run where Neil Adams was drawing it. Uh, he had uh, almost a 50-issue run on Iron Man. He wrote Justice League for, I don't know, 15-ish issues. Um and he wrote The Question. The Question had his own uh, more mature, not Vertigo mature, but still more mature series And I think, the late 80s. Um, that ran for 36 issues. He wrote the whole thing, and that is an awesome series. DC's finally going to start collecting it. Here, here's where the he's been attached to everything comes in. He has been an editor at both Marvel and DC for pretty much his entire career, which has been decades. If he didn't write it, he edited it. So this guy... If there's anybody that deserves to be, I guess, Easter egged <laughs> in this Batman 
cartoon by these obvious fanboys, it's him. last episode for today is Off Balance, and this one is notable because it marks the first appearances of Talia and Rachel Ghoul. Uh, Rachel really just has a cameo, but it's still a, an appearance nonetheless. Uh, but Talia, Talia has a very sizable uh, role in this episode, and, you know, the plot is pretty average, I guess I would say. What do you think, James? Is that the right yeah, word? Yeah, the episode, yeah, I would agree that it's average, but there's, there's, a, I think there's a good reason for it because it's this is definitely a setup. Episode. Right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not knocking it at all. It's like if you know what comes after this, this episode's better, and I think I ranked it accordingly. But yeah. if, if I was, if this was the first time I saw this one, I think it would have got a slightly lower grade. But because I know what they were setting up, because I can see the foreshadowing, it's like ah, okay, I get what's going on there. Mm-hmm. But uh, in this one. Basically, there's a new terrorist group running around Gotham called uh, what, the Shadow Clan? or The Society of Shadows. The Society of Shadows. And they're trying to steal the Wayne Tech Sonic Drill, which is, you know, it's meant to be used in excavating and construction sites and things like that. But, of course, it has, you know, potential as a weapon. And this society attempts to steal it, and they're being, they're apparently being led by a man called Vertigo. And... <laughs> if you can't guess, his power is that he makes you have vertigo. You think you're off balance. See, get it. Ooh, it's the title. Ooh. Anyways, um, <laughs> you know, he and his little gang, they try to steal this sonic drill. And not only is Batman trying to stop them because it's his fucking drill, but <laughs> also, you know, Talia is is getting involved. And at first, we don't know. Is she helping batman is she helping vertigo does she have her own agenda what's going on here and uh you know talia and batman they kind of strike up an alliance and you know you think talia's on the side of the angels and they flirt yes they they (laughs) very much flirt and it's like hey wait a minute bats what happened to uh you know catwoman back home (laughs) and uh once they they stop vertigo and batman gets his drill back uh, it's revealed in the end that Talia did, in fact, have her own agenda. She steals the drill, but Batman sabotaged it in such a way that uh, it can't be used by her and her pappy. And, you know, we kind of get a monologue at the end by Rachel Ghoul saying, oh, yes, this is not over. And that's that. <laughs> I'll get you next time, Gadget. <laughs> next time! <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> uh, thoughts about this one? Some damn fine animation, mm-hmm. uh, I think. Uh, and I like there was a, another great Alfred moment with he says, "Alfred, you're brilliant." <laughs> yes, so I've heard. Yeah, and what's great about that is not only does he say it, he actually looks at his nails and kind of polishes them a little. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, so I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> I love that from Zimbalist. Mm-hmm. It's just so awesome. And yeah, and uh, and like we said earlier, this is not a great episode by any stretch of the imagination, but it def- it's, and I noticed that at the end, I was like, well, God, this episode was just kind of boring, hmm. and it was really over the top with, uh, you know, Count Vertigo. Yeah. Like, it, I, I was like, God, it's another over the top Nazi guy. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, 
but I, I, I thought about it. Well, yeah, this sets up uh, the demon. I think it's the demon's quest. Yeah. Or, or uh, head of the demon or something well, like yeah. that. A two-parter, the really awesome two-parter that comes uh, later on. And I was like, well, okay, I can let it slide. So, um, but what was, what did I notice? I liked, there, there seemed to be some allusions, uh, uh, literary allusions to the uh, Hitchcock Vertigo film. With the uh, the clock tower and the, and uh, the church, you know, so I like I like that because yeah. Hitchcock is of course he, he's he's fucking Hitchcock. Yeah. So that was that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, this episode doesn't really have a lot to that stands out. It's just there. It's like if it's not, I wouldn't say it's filler because it's not. It's clearly setting up the future. Uh, Rachel Ghoul encounters, but there's not really a lot of distinguishing characteristics of this episode. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely correct. It's if it, if this did not set up Rachel Ghoul, if this didn't introduce Talia, it would just be your average episode, or below average. Maybe, maybe. Um, remember earlier I said you know I I was kind of. St- not paying attention during the first viewing of uh, What is Reality, mm-hmm. I kind of noticed that I wasn't paying full attention. It was during this episode when I was like, okay, you know what? I got to contact James and say, tell him we're not recording tonight. <laughs> because <laughs> I got like, you know, maybe halfway through it, and I'm like, I am so fucking bored. I just, I just wanted to just like close my eyes and just fall asleep and not even be arsed to turn off the damn DVD player, you know? I was just so <laughs> bored by the episode. But then, you know, I, I put it off a day, and I watched it again. I'm like, okay, it's not as bad as I was thinking it was the day before. But, you know, and again, I'll say that it's better only because of what it sets up. But, yeah, if it were to just stand on its own, average at best. But, again, I'm going to mark it up because of what it does, what it means to this series. Mm-hmm. As a One whole. thing the thing I did notice about this episode was all the guest appearances. Helen Slater was Talia, and she played Supergirl in the, the 84 movie. Is she Talia for the, the rest, throughout the rest of the series? I believe so. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. And Michael York, who was uh, Basil Exposition in the Austin Powers movies, uh, played the over-the-top Count Vertigo. Mm. Uh, who else? David Warner was Rachel Ghoul. Uh and let's see what else? he was. God, what has he been in? Uh, I'm trying to think of what else he was, he was in. I know he was in uh, Star Trek. He's done some things in Star Trek. I just don't know who he played. Was he like a Romulan or something? Um, God, he was in. Let's see. Let me, let me, pull let me look page. over his. He was in The Final Frontier, The Undiscovered Country. He was in The Secret of the Ooze. Oh yeah, he's the scientist. He's the scientist in Secret of the Ooze. Hmm. That's who he is. Um, was he one of the villains from a Die Hard? Was he a Die Hard villain? I don't know. Um, no, it doesn't look God, like it. I don't think so. But yeah, I mean, this guy's got just—he's got such a voice. Yeah, he's the—you know—what um, Liam Neeson brought to the f- uh, film version of Rachel Gould. David Warner brought that—that that amount of greatness to the animated Rachel Gould. So there was. Just a brilliant performance, and I'm glad they brought him back for the, all the future appearances, even you know into the Batman Superman adventures. Uh, I guess which is, uh, technically is Gotham Knights and New Superman. Remember when I asked if he played a Romulan? 
mm-hmm. in uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. He right. does, and he plays one of the most memorable Romulans. There's a two-part episode of Star Trek called Chain of Command, and in that one, Picard, Crusher, and Worf have to run a black ops operation. Um, yes, I know that's redundant. And um, <laughs> Picard gets captured by the Romulans. The whole thing was a setup by the Romulans. They, they wanted to get Picard. And he plays Gull Madred, I think is how you would pronounce it. Gull is like their version of like Captain. So there was like Gull Dukat and Gull this and Gull that. But So he was Gull, Gull Madred. And he is this like awesome, conniving, get-in-your-head kind of villain. And when Picard beats him at the end, he beats him uh, with his mind. He doesn't get into a fist fight with him. He doesn't shoot him with a phaser. It's literally, I, I beat you. You know, I, you couldn't bring me down. You know, and I, I could overcome everything you tried to throw at me kind of victory for Picard. And it's, which, it's so good. Which and is those, amazing because that's how, how the Rachel Ghoul Batman, Bruce Wayne, uh, relationship is they're both they're both they're both very much equals in everything in fighting ability and in intelligence and and in i guess and abil- i would say an ability to manipulate people yeah yeah because we can't forget that that's batman's uh one of his strongest traits yes oftentimes that gets overlooked only the good writers actually bring that up so but yeah he definitely manipulates situations to his advantage um, but anyways, we're not even talking about this episode. <laughs> I tried to get it back into the discussion there. <laughs> yes. Um, I should mention that this one is written by Len Wein, who, of course, wrote the very terrible uh, Night of the Wolf, Moon of the Wolf. Yeah, Moon of the Wolf. Yeah, he wrote that piece of crap episode. Um, again, not you know, he's not writing, you know, he's not at the top of his game here, but he's redeemed himself because, at least in the animated universe, he introduced Talia and Raish, so... You know, credit where credit is due, as always. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I'll, I don't. I really don't know what I'm going to say about this one. Yeah, I feel the same way because there's the you know the villain Vertigo is just so damn over the top. I'm the German who who has the the spi- the spiral on my forehead. <laughs> and I know, and my German went into like kind of Irish Scottish there. But, <laughs> but you know yeah, what? That's pretty much spot on. <laughs> it's just God. It's just so annoying, and I'm glad. You know, thank Christ, it just it, it, this became a, a, this was a setup for future episodes. Because mm-hmm. yeah. this, you know, the more I talk about it, the more I think, God, this would have been an awful episode if, <laughs> if not for not for being a setup. I, I guess you know, if we're gonna knock it, we gotta praise it. Uh, well, that's not always the case. Re Moon of the Wolf, but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, I hate that episode so oh, no. much. Oh, I know. It was so good to have a, a really good, or at least average, batch of episodes with these five compared to last month. Yeah, last I, time. I, oh, I, and I meant to make a note of that because this this, episode, this batch of episodes, for the most part, was really a breath of fresh air after that crap we had to go through in the last episode. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. Um, but, you know, again, if we're going to praise this one, I have to say, finally... Finally, finally, someone removed the mask. Talia wasn't doing it to gain information, or at least maybe she was. In retrospect, maybe she was. But she claimed she was doing it to better tend his wounds, which makes sense. But she didn't leave it on and try to clean them up around it. She didn't just kind of pull it back. No, the whole thing comes off. 
And it was like, yes, thank you. Someone finally took it off. Mm-hmm. Oh. I, I've got to do a hallelujah to that one. And, and when finally. You, and when you do look at it with hindsight, you you know, you do have to question, well, was she really trying to help him? Or was she trying to figure out who the detective was? He pro- of course, she Rach probably knows. was. Rach would obviously obviously know because he figures it out. But did, did he share that information with Talia? Hmm. You know, did she know heading into this? I assume Rach probably knew heading into this. Well, you never know because, know. like in the next, in the two parter that follows this episode up, uh, you know, he just saunters on into the Batcave. Hello, yeah. detective. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. He knew there, so I'm wondering if he already knew going into this episode Mm -hmm. did he tell talia did he not i don't know so maybe she was pulling it off to see who he was Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know if you picked up on this um it it could just be me being the gi joe fan i was it could be me seeing things that aren't there but that opening scene where batman is on the uh well the quote-unquote statue of liberty Liberty. and he's he's confronting uh what was the guy's name twitch he's confronting twitch trying to get information on this new you know terrorist organization twitch looked very gi joe-ish to me he seemed to have similar designs like batman didn't the thugs didn't nothing else in the cartoon really had that feel but he himself just felt sort of inspired by uh i don't know like his face just looked very gi joe-ish to me if if you're not a fan of the old gi joe cartoon yeah i haven't seen i god i haven't seen the gi joe cartoon in probably 14 15 years Right, so you you might not notice it. Like I said, maybe I'm read, you know, just seeing something that isn't there. I don't know, but I just look at his face, and I'm like, yeah, that's there's something there. I'm wondering if the guy who storyboarded that maybe worked on GI Joe or something. Maybe it's just a coincidence. I don't know, but it it stood out to me for whatever reason. I mean, I, I think he might have looked like I don't know. I keep thinking, you know who it is? He, to me, at first I was going to say a dreadnought, but I realized that was wrong. He looked like a slightly chubbier in the face Tomax and Zaymot. <laughs> that might be what I was seeing there. I don't. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe someone will write in and let me know if I'm crazy or not. I hope so. <laughs> you hope someone writes in and tells me I'm crazy? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no. But I'm glad you said something about that scene because that reminded me of uh, what happens after they go down the uh, the tot line. Oh, there, my God. They gas themselves. Wow, that was cool. Yeah. Now, of course, they water it down and the, when Gordon's like, and they use, they gas their minds or something. Mm-hmm. I was like, eh. Yeah, they erased you know, memories. It. Yeah, right, exactly. They watered it down, but damn, that was cool when it first happened. I was like, wow. Yeah, these guys they, murdered, these guys committed suicide. Yeah, because they grabbed their throats as they're not dying. You uh-huh. know, Batman's even taken aback like, the fuck? You know, he, yeah, he puts that mask on like quick as hell. Yeah, it's that is brutal. I mean, and, the, and their eyes too. Their eyes are all the pupils are really, really small, and they're all yellow and blood. You know, uh, what uh, bloodshot? Are they bloodshot? I remember I, the pupils I, being almost gone, but I don't remember they're being. You might be right. I, might I have thought not I thought they turned yellow and bloodshot. But they might have, me. but yeah, I mean those dudes. Uh, are dead. They're dead. I don't care yeah. what Gordon said. I, yeah. You know, Gordon might be a great cop, but yeah, he got his information wrong. They're dead. <laughs> yeah, sorry, dead. Because the, the Society of Shadows wouldn't be like, oh, we'll just erase their minds and let them live. No, they're dead. And, you know, as much as we don't like Count Vertigo... Um, <laughs> I know he's a comic book character before this episode, well before this episode ever happened. But... As much as we don't like him, the Vertigo animation, uh, you know, created by his power... Mm-hmm. That is really cool. 
Yes, it the, is. By, especially that first scene where they're on the, the dock and, you know, Harvey's about to throw up and they're all trying to get their bearings and everything is literally just twisting itself around. And you can just see the pier, you know, the wooden planked pier just kind of spiraling. It's like, wow, that yes. is cool. Exactly. That's what I said. There's some damn fine animation in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and then speaking of the next time when we kind of see that animation, when they're in that room, Talia and Batman, I should say, mm-hmm. and they're going through it, and, you know, it's like, well, how did you make it through? I closed my eyes. First off, that shows how badass Batman can be. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I knew I could get through the room if I just, you know, didn't look at it. <laughs> I could survive the traps if I closed my eyes. It's like, wow. I'm surprised Talia, Talia just didn't start sucking him off right there. Like, oh, I love you. Um, but anyways, um, what I one of the things that's always confused me about that scene is they exit through a wall. Now, are we supposed to assume that they're so turned around that Batman is, well, quote-unquote, seeing a wall when there's really a door there? Or is that like an animation error? Because the, at the right at the end, the spikes come up, and he pulls her back, and then they take a step forward, and they exit directly through a wall instead of a door. A wall opens up. But right. they open it like a door where they turn the handle. But yeah. there's no handle there. I wish I could explain that, but I can't think of anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I, if someone, you know, if listeners write in and say, oh, no, no, it's just supposed to be he was so turned around, it looked like there was a wall there when it was really the door. I could buy it, but I just wanted to know if maybe it's been addressed somewhere in an interview or in a commentary or something where they said, no, that was kind of a mistake. And I didn't know. I was throwing it out there to see if you knew or if our listeners know. Listeners, please correct us whenever we're wrong. Oh, we beg absolutely. You. Absolutely. I can't emphasize that enough. And the lip syncing of Talia when she's in the plane, when Raish is talking to her after the guns exploded or the drills exploded, Mm-hmm. Her lips are moving, but there's nothing coming out. It, it's like they didn't have enough animation to fill the scene, so they just kept looping the same thing over and over. And her lips are going, but there's nothing, nothing at all coming out. And it's little glitches like that which, you know, continue to hurt this episode. I mean, there's a couple of points where the bat isn't on his emblem. It's just a yellow oval. Right. You know, it's, again, just little things that, well, coupled with, you know, the plot that really bring this episode down and kind of keep it from being as good as it could have been, even without the foreshadowing that was layered throughout. I don't don't have anything else to say about this one. No, me neither. Okay, do you want to go back and do our scores then? Okay. Starting with Almost Got Him, despite some, you know, little quibbles with the animation that I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, this is going to be a first for me. That's a 10. I gave it a 9. Like I said, I I can overlook the slight flaws in the animation from mm-hmm. time to time in this one to give it a 10 because I just enjoy it. I can I could literally sit down and watch this episode at any time, see something new every time I watch it, enjoy it every time I watch it. I never get bored when I watch it. It's just good fun. Yeah, you know? and that's and what a 10 out of 10 should be. Exactly. And then what, something we didn't say during this one, and we were talking about that one, I mean, is I love the ending. Or the ending of the the fight sequences, where Harley's like, what are you going to do, Batman? Save me or your girlfriend? And he's just, you know, he's got her by the collar, and he just opens up the, the, the electrical box. Like, yes, I forgot about that. He just pulls the lever down. It's a, And then she's, I forget what she says, but she's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, he knew what he was doing all along. That was really cool. And 
it happens off camera, but we get a second woman getting punched in that episode. If you listen, there he clearly hits Harley off camera. You, know, so you could say he might throw her hard to the ground, mm-hmm. but it's 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 a punch sound. So yeah, two women get hit by Batman in that episode, but that's not why I'm ranking it a ten. Hitting women is hitting anybody is bad, bad, bad. But anyways, the episode still gets a ten. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what are you giving Birds of a Feather? Um, like I said, it, when I started off, I had this ranked like a low five, but I, as I kept watching it, I upped it to a seven. A seven. It, it really got that good. Okay, I'm gonna give that one an eight. Uh, again, just the the emotion that they brought to the penguin character mm-hmm. just is is so cool. This is definitely going to be an episode that I'm going to have to go back and say, you know what, maybe I should have even given this an eight because I think what's holding it down for me right now is the first three minutes and, and the last five minutes, except for except for when he's explaining, you know, that line about friendship and that yeah. would have cost you nothing. But I'm going to definitely come, review that one down the road. Uh, what is reality? Uh, five. I am going to give that one a six. I am the knight? Seven. I am going to give that one another six. Mm-hmm. And then off balance. A uh, six. It accomplished what it was supposed to do. I am going to give this one a seven. I probably would give it like a four or a five, as we said, if it didn't set up the things it sets up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, because it does, I really got to give it a seven there. It's, it's, it's worth that. And if it weren't for this blasted coin, I would have got him. Gee, that's too bad, Hoff. But I guess you'll always come in second. Anyone else want to go? <laughs> there I was, holed up in this quarry. When Batman came nosing around, he was getting closer, closer. And? I threw a rock at him. So, Harvey, what became of the giant penny? It was a big rock. They actually let him keep it. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Again, that's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes from Batman the Animated Series, those being The Man Who Killed Batman, Mudslide, Paging the Crime Doctor, Zatanna, and The Mechanic. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast.